back, everybody, to another episode of Overdue Rentals, the podcast where we talk about films that, hey, never they, maybe they never got enough attention. Maybe they were big award winners. Just nobody seems to talk about them anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And today we are joined by the editor-in-chief, the man who runs Awards Radar, Joey Madsen. How you doing, Joey? I did not agree to this. No, that's fine. <laughs> doing good. How's well, everyone else? Here, Joey, can you find it at all possible to get late this weekend? I mean, always, always a possibility. I, uh... <laughs> nothing lewd here, folks. I swear, nothing lewd except for the subject matter we're about to discuss. Uh, exactly. I could swear we're talking about movies on this podcast. So yes, no, notorious skirt chaser John Travolta. Well, yeah. For, oh man. For those who didn't, who just those who just jumped into the episode, just said like, I can't wait to hear this. Didn't even read what it's about. Today we are talking about Primary Colors, which is the 1998. <sighs> film adaptation of the mm, how do you want to put it because it's i mean it's it's based on true true events but it's not necessarily all true so, events so novel. I have, i've read the book okay you've read so, it yeah. it was written by anonymous which turned out to think be joel stein or something it was, yeah. A, it was yeah and yep. uh it's a roman yeah. de clef as people call it i think it was roman de clef which is basically like yeah th thinly veiled events yeah it was it's a very slightly fictionalized uh look at uh Bill Clinton running for president. Like you can figure out who almost all of the approximates are. I was playing that game last night. Oddly enough though, oddly yeah. enough, you know, in my head, I don't know if it's just something that I remember from when I first saw it or somebody told me something or I messed it up because the character of Henry, who's really the protagonist of the film or yeah. of the story, we should say, you know, is supposed to be George Stephanopoulos. But in my head, I maybe because it was an African-American actor, I always thought it was supposed to be Vernon Jordan. Could be, yeah. I mean, but, yeah. They, they do a good enough job making it clear that this is not the exact person. The one exception is the uh, the New York governor, Ozio, who's clearly Mario Cuomo because they yeah. just have an Andrew Cuomo lookalike playing his son, Jimmy, or whatever. Yeah. Jason, whatever. No, no, but, no, but, I mean, come on. Travolta is really doing an impression of Bill Clinton more than anything else. I mean, it, it can get a little strange at times. It's not awful, but he's definitely trying to do, like, ah, I'm Bill. It, it's, it's not Phil Hartman. But it's not not Phil Hartman. <laughs> you see this sandwich here? Warlords. Yeah. I, I mean, oh, I love that bit. It's so interesting because it's, there's so much going on with that performance because it's clearly meant to be comedic. But he's also, you know, they have all these conversations about true believers in the movie. And yet he's the biggest one of all. Like he believes his bullshit, but he also isn't bullshitting is the thing. So like, it's a very interesting flawed character. Like by all accounts, not a good person. Before we get too far in, should we probably give the synopsis? Because I think we've like just blown past it at this point. Yeah. But let's let's pay lip service to the 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 polities before we dive into a real heavy theme of this film. So what you're saying is you want a little bit of foreplay. Well, I mean, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Sometimes it's a nationwide oh, scandal that follows us into middle school because For it's any, yeah, on the people track. who have never actually lived through or gone back and look at the history of the actual events or the actual Clinton scandals, it's going to be really weirded out by a lot of things we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it, it, not to mention just uh, one of the reasons I, at least I think we selected this or it's sort of, this felt like the best movie to discuss right now is the fact that we're sort of relitigating this in our uh, popular culture with Ryan Murphy's impeachment American crime story. Who'd have thought the two people to comment on Bill Clinton would be Ryan Murphy and the late Mike Nichols and Elaine May. 
Yeah. And uh, in a previous episode, David Mamet and Barry Levinson. Yeah. Well, Mike, because we actually, now we've skipped over doing the, the rundown. It sounded like you wanted to give us a little bit of a rundown. So why don't, we, why don't you go through, for those who don't know, what the film's about? Oh, well, I'll uh, try not to skip the skipping. And basically, Primary Colors is the story of a young, idealistic political operative played by Adrian Lester, who just, I, I'm always amazed with his filmography and also how well he mimics the, the American speech pattern. Yeah. But he is drafted to basically work for a President Clinton stand-in, then Governor Clinton stand-in, played by John Travolta. Uh, with wife played by Emma Thompson, another person who's really wily with how they convince us they're an American. And throughout the course of the primary season, we see this uh, I, uh, political idealist come to grips with his beliefs versus the reality of the American political system. Now, Joey, you said you read the book. Did you read the book before or after seeing the film? I want to say after. Okay. Yeah, I, I read, I saw the movie. I wanted to say on DVD, you know, so I'm going to go with early 20s. And then I read the book not long after. And there's a sequel. There's a sequel that follows one of the other candidates, which we can talk about in a minute. And it's not the one you think is the other part. Um, And then I'd watch the movie again because it's a it's a surprisingly watchable movie. It's just like a like I gave I gave Matt a lot of the political ones on your guys' list. I was like, I'll do this, I'll do the front runner, I'll do the contender. Like, what's I do am it? so fucking happy because these are the type of movies that I grew up loving and oh, yeah. then just continue to love as an adult. And I feel it, the Clinton era was like the prime time for these sorts of things because you start out with like the idealism of something like Dave and the American president. But by the end of Clinton's uh, presidential uh, legacy, you see movies like Wag the Dog, you see this. And then by the time we got to the Bush administration- Yeah, anything from early uh, Rod Lurie, Deterrence, The Contender? Yes, oh, I wanna get Rod Lurie on here for The Contender because that's- So I I became kind of friendly with him from uh, The Outpost last year. So I could probably help with that. Well, we may just have to have you both on. There you go. Make it even more fun. I definitely can't tell one of the stories he told me about Gary Oldman. Well, we'll have to get him to tell it. There you go. Well, no, it's they're they're well known, but like it was funny to go, you know, you read you listen. I was listening to actually the um this had Oscar Buzz podcast, and they mentioned something about that. And I went, Is that true? And I was, hey Rod. And he went, I'll call you. I thought I remembered reading that he was like really pissed with how his character was presented and cut in the the final edit. Well, yeah. So that's that's like public record. They he thought he treated it like he was the protagonist, like it was a right wing movie, mm-hmm. which is why he's so good in that movie. Well, yeah. I mean, you ask Gary Oldman to deliver, he fucking delivers. Gary Oldman, come on our show. It seems like he's mellowed out a lot because that was you know what made him so interesting was oh he's fucking Sid Vicious, I guess. Like that's his thing. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of actors to, to mellow. I mean, Frank Langella, for instance. Like he admitted when, when I spoke to him, like that he's like, yeah, you know, if you were talking to me like 20, 30 years ago, I'd probably be a jerk, but completely changed to, to oh, a yeah. totally amazing person. We, I just talked to him also for Chicago 7 last year. And like, he's like, this is great. Like I'm an old man. I just want to do things that make me happy right now. I don't want to, <laughs> like, I want to do a role. I can sit in a chair and yell at people. This is great. This is exactly what I want to be doing with my life right now. 
So it's, Frank Langella needs that Masters of U the Universe sequel where it's just old man Skeletor yelling. I, at I think he would. Lawn. I think he would smack someone if they offered him that. Oh yeah. Oh, he's more important. More importantly, though, let's get back to primary colors, though, because we don't want to. Yes. I mean, as much as I love to talk about Frank Langella now, we, sh we shouldn't get too far off the topic. I mean, we could have found a role for him in this. I'm sorry. We could have got him in this movie. Um, like two roles he could have played. And Larry Hagman's is probably one of them. That's it's a great role. So my my lady friend watched it with me, and she couldn't get over his eyebrows. <laughs> just like I, I I can't I can't like they're wild. I also showed her a picture of him by Dream of Genie. She's like, fuck off. That's not the same person. Oh, Dreamboat Larry Hagman. And then he became Dream Eyebrows. Dream Brow. What, what about, though, about, what about the story? Go back, going back to the story, based on, again, Joe, you seeing yes. the movie, reading the book. What, I want to know, I'm interested for both of you guys, what's your takeaway from, from what's trying to be said here? Because I have a very specific thought process on it. And I'm interested to see what you guys think. And then I'll, I'll throw, my, throw my ideas out there. I mean, I think it's way more successful at being entertaining than being scathing. But I mean, you know, it, it's kind of hard. You can't make a real idealistic political movie that's trying to be realistic. You have to be kind of fairy tale. But if you go for the, the, the jugular, you can't also be a comedy. And this is, mm -hmm. this is mostly a comedy. It's a, it's a black comedy. So I think when it focuses more on that, it's, it's more successful than the like, politics corrupts you because also i really feel like if even in the 90s if you were watching a political movie about someone running for president you're kind of aware of politics you're not like this is what this is what running for president is like it's it's kind of talking to the choir there but the the, the machinations of it like there's a there's a sequence where they solve one of the scandals essentially and that's just fat it's fun like i, I like that i'm there for that hmm. more so than the i always felt like the climax is really weak like a really good movie that kind of doesn't know how to end. Mike, what about you? Well, good time to admit this was my first time actually seeing the film. Oh, I was I familiar. Well, I was familiar with his existence, but apparently this was one of the ones I I didn't tape off a pay per view or <laughs> rent from the library. I I don't know why because I remember seeing the trailer and being like, yeah, that's that's totally my jam. I mean, you're talking to a kid who. Grew up in a Republican household, so was a little was hearing a little more of that side at the time. And I still remember uh, going down to Virginia and finding this book. I think it was called Bill Clinton's Little Black Book, and it was a like a Mad Magazine style parody. It looks like a little date book, and it's supposed to be like Bill Clinton's sketches and like plans to meet Monica. And oh, let's turn the uh, why don't we rename the Oval Office into the Oral Office? Like low hanging fruit like that. Yeah, not opposed to it. But I just want to say, I applaud your courage for admitting to not having seen this movie. I got an <laughs> uncle. <laughs> All they did was lay on the couch and say, oh, I'm not watching Primary Colors. Uh, my uncle Charlie. God bless him. It's a but fantastic the, introduction to the character. It really is. That and the, the sort of uh, a parallel to what we saw in Dave. There's yeah. that scene where he goes to the kid's shelter with his wife and watches them talking. And there's a sort of parallel with that where you see Governor Stanton going to the library, which for all political junkies out there, early Allison Janney viewing, Allison Janney of the West Wing and, and Academy Award winner for I, Tanya, And the way that he's moved by that story is like another Dave Mitchell moment. Yeah, well, but that's Dave, that's Dave. 
you know, pretend, not pretending. Dave is, is genuine. Dave is somebody who cares about people. Stanton there while we're, well, look, that's, this is, this is why I kind of want to talk about it because I was kind of, what I was kind of winding up to until oh, you I'm sorry, sorry. Interrupting cow. No. Sorry. Sorry. It makes it more interesting. Whatever. This is a fake fight. Matthew Shuckman, total asshole. No. no I was going to say you heard it first, but I've heard it several times. Matthew Shuckman, total sweetheart. But anyway, so the big difference, as you said, with Jack Stanton is, well, I think his name is Jack. I'm just going to, oh, Governor Stanton. The Jack big Stanton. Deal, yeah, the big deal with Jack Stanton is throughout the film, as the scandals sort of pile up, the solutions present themselves. We're sort of given this thing that, Again, if you, you you compare this to those earlier films like American President or Dave, that was very much beholden to the institution. It's the dream. But then at the end of the Clinton years, we sort of hit another peak like the end of the Nixon years where the distrust is sort of running wild. The media is lapping it up. And ultimately we see a candidate evolve through the eyes of Adrian Lester's character, Henry. And you just get to that last monologue, that last scene between him and John Travolta. And I think that is one of my favorite moments from this movie. I think that's one of my favorite John Travolta moments because he's just dancing between the charm that we've seen through this whole film and then who he really is. Because ultimately Primary Colors is about a whole bunch of people in the political circus and where their limit is. Is there a price? Is there a limit? Yeah. I, people back off, very few don't. And that leaves, that, that left me with a, a sort of chill watching that final, the final sequence of the film. Yeah, I was, I, was okay. say, I, I, I take it as, he, here's a, a man who's very flawed, wants to do good, like didn't get into politics because it's a job, like legitimately is that guy. You know, mm-hmm. is the like, like, I don't, I always feel like the beginning scene isn't bullshit. Like he loves that, like just the people, you know, I want to be loved and I want to love people. Like I want to do that. And I also want to have sex with a lot of women. That's he loves the people. Yeah, loves people, especially certain parts of certain people. But once you become a governor, once you get told you might have a chance to be president, you know, what are you willing to do? And his answer is, the ends will always justify the means, not because I'm power hungry, I am, but in his perspective, and I feel like he fully believes I can help people. Like, look at everyone else in this race. They're politicians. I'm a guy. Yeah. And I think he almost looks like his, like his flaws are what makes him a guy. Like I'm not, you know, everyone else in the movie who has a flaw is kind of like, it's a little different. Like the other character, there's a drug issue. There's a, you know, his thing is, I like having sex with women. It's not my wife. Like a lot of people understand this. Like I'm a good dude. Like to him, he's a good guy. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's. A, first of all, also to 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 point out to people, just in case you know, they're not aware before they see the film. It's, it's primary colors because it's the primary. It's, he's fighting against other Democrats to be the Democratic uh, nominee. Not necessarily fighting against for the presidency yet. But my thing with the film is, and the story in general is that while yes. Henry's disillusionment and realization that they're becoming, you know, that, that politics is not what he wrangled it up to be in his own mind and realizing all the dirty tricks are, are is very important to what is being said, but in almost in a way starts to signify the way I kind of feel about people I think should be president in essence, because I don't want to know somebody's womanizer and go, oh, they should run the country. That's, that's awful. 
but I think there is this, there's this, there's a statement out there that if you want to be the person who runs the United States, you kind of have to be a little bit of a sleaze. That's why people like Carter and people like Ford didn't really pan out that well because they were generally good people. And as much as it pains me to say it, I feel like you have to be a little bit of a backstabber to do it the right way. And that's almost what I'm taking from this movie more than anything else. I mean, yeah, you see that, you even saw that with the, the last election we had in real life. Like, you know, on, on the whole, we want to believe that good people are the people who are going to like help us in life. Yeah, we want to believe that good people run the country, but that's not necessarily how it works. But we also have this weird tendency of when we're presented with largely good people, look to make them bad. Like they can't be good. And we, we, we saw that this last time. The irony is also, in movies like this, they always make it a clear-cut primary. Like this movie, um, The Ides of March does it too. They always have a yes. primary line about like, the Republicans nonsense. Whoever wins this is going to win because you just can't have like, oh, we got to the finish line. Let's do it right over again. So like, you know, they don't mention a George Bush stand-in because they're just like, in, in the way this went, which is funny because it's the opposite of how in real life, everyone assumed Bush was unbeatable. And that's the only reason Bill Clinton got the nomination because Mario Cuomo didn't run. A lot of people were just like, I don't feel like losing. So it was, it was Bill Clinton and like Jerry Brown. There are two things I need to lay down. First of all, since you're a fan of this and if anyone else is a fan of this, this film and wants to dive more into that story, Steve Karnacki from MSNBC put out a really good book that I'm still in the middle of called The Red and the Blue. Mm. And it goes through all of that. It goes through Newt Gingrich weaponizing the Republican Party and C-SPAN. It goes into Clinton becoming the young idealist who leapfrogs over Mario Cuomo and everyone else in the primaries. But the other thing is, this does feel like a rough draft of the Ides of March. Like Bo, Bo Willeman must have, must have loved this movie at some point or this book. Because well, this yeah, definitely is a rough draft of that film. Yeah, Ides of March is Clooney and Woolman going, what if everyone was bad? And what if we take bad people made them worse? Like, I love that movie. Yeah, it's just, it's funny that like Ides of March is, let's just have bad people and see how they, how much worse they're willing to get when we make them interact with each other. And this is what happens to mostly good people when you have to be in politics. Because I, I, there's no real like villain per se either. No. I guess Kashmir McLeod. <laughs> not even probably i mean it's almost it's almost more like it almost feels like it's like the public not the public's like the villain but it almost seems to be like they're the ones who are the antagonists in a way because you're just trying to to please us and you know you know where scene is like give me give me give me we want we want we, we need it's like when he's giving the speech at the um i can't remember what it was a factory and uh every you know they're like Oh, he's he's losing them. He's he's getting too political. And Henry's like, "Fuck it, he's got me." You know, it's like, where even though they're applauding him by the end of it, it's like we're 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 partially the antagonists. It was America all along. If that becomes a hashtag after this, we're done. <laughs> I mean, listen, there's many reasons why we're we're screwed, but I mean, I think that the you know what's the you know what the more like oh god we're screwed scene is it's when they do the like Good Morning America interview and when we see it from the perspective of the just people in the coffee shop watching and there's that one woman who's like, he should hit her. Sure. Yeah, I'm like commenting on her hairstyle. It's like, well, we're, we're, this is what we're presenting you here and this is what you're taking yeah. out. And that's Please why vote we're the antagonists. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, you're kind of right. And you really don't get that from a lot of political process movies because it's really supposed to be about the process. We don't want to be too preachy and we don't want to oversell that point. But this is, I think this is a very interesting way of presenting that and not in a, a nasty way, but in a very sort of straightforward way. Like you even go to the big rally scene with Larry Hagman where he's telling everybody to sit down and he's like, I, I want everybody to calm down and we should be having a conversation. That's not what we want here. Any other film, that is the stump message. That is the, the thing that carries through. That's, that's the winner. The winner gives that speech. In this movie, it's the guy that we find out is just as cracked as everyone else, but to a lesser extent because of personal flaws. Yeah. No, but he's... again, we're, we're, this is the guy that's supposed to be, that's the message they're supposed to carry this film is the conversation. Well, that's 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 what makes it interesting when you get to the climax of like who's gonna whose dirt is gonna come out essentially because you've got you've got Jack who is kind of seen as a scumbag and maybe and he basically is, but is it just more of the same? And is he you know he also might be a great president? Or you have uh, Larry Hagman, you have Fred Picker, who's seen as like a saint, and can you take a saint and turn out? He's also a massive cokehead who sometimes bangs his drug dealer. Like, is it better or worse? It's a weird, it's like they even ask the question like to the other characters in the movie, like which that one's just kind of messy and human. Like, is that better or worse? It's, it's interesting too, because you, you don't, you only know this because we know so much, even if we don't know everything about the actual Clinton, yeah. uh, you know, and for as, for as good as we technically lived during his presidency, you know, he was the guy who was meeting much, much so the Republicans in the aisle and passing things that were very left-wing uh, and right-wing policies at the same time to like make everybody happy. But like the way Jack says it at the end is like, just like we're talking about, you know, like I think I'm the one who could do this. And so I have to do what I have to do to get there. And that's kind of true. Like that, in that time, the way that we can see it now in the past, Clinton was the one who could have gotten it done and didn't get it done. And so, again, I'm, I'm not trying to praise a womanizer, yeah. but for what he did, you know, that's it, I don't remember living ever as good as when it was then. I mean, I think oh, no. it's just I think it's just a matter of what do you want out of your elected officials, and I think both sides have an issue currently when it comes to like purity tests and yeah. just, it's just a way to eliminate people it's not a way to like i mean that's what makes it in a like ten thousand foot view kind of amazing that joe biden's the president because he's nobody's first choice he's everybody's compromised but that's kind of what you actually want at the end of the day no one should be super happy with their elected official and no one should be super upset you should kind of represent the largest swath as you can and I mean, tinker that to your left wing or right wing opinions. You know, I obviously don't want a Republican who agrees with a little bit of what I want. I want the Democrat. But as a general rule for, you know, running the country, you probably need at least lip service to the other side. Like Clinton did that arguably maybe too much with the crime bill. Biden does that maybe too much with certain things. But at the same time, that was Obama's floor. Like that, it's, people have trouble doing it. And then when people don't do it, you get, you know, a game show host. Oh, yeah. Obama and did it too, though. It's, it's just, I said that was his problem. Like, you know, uh, 
a lot of pe- people don't take the right lessons of it. Like Clinton managed to do it, but people, especially Obama had this problem. And I largely enjoyed what he did. Like the idea that, oh, they're willing to meet me in the middle. No, you're not. They're not. So you have to find a way to make that happen. So you can't start with a compromise. Yeah, you have yeah. to start with like uh, healthcare is not only is healthcare free, billionaires have to actually have to come and do the exam for me. And then we negotiate exactly. for something better. You start with like, this is what I want. And they go, well, fuck no. And you go, well, what if we move here? Like, listen, act like you have a child. Exactly. You blue sky it and then you let them chip away at the, the dream and it becomes the reality that you want. That's, that's always what it should be. Which is also and, what we don't have now because, yeah. you know, as much as there are things that like the Bernie Sanders of the world are good for, getting people to understand how politics works is not one of them. No, it's again, the primary colors poses the idea of do we want the more idealistic version or do we want political operatives that have human flaws, but get the job done? And uh, something I, I was trying to think of what I wrote it down for Governor Picker's speech in an idealistic movie. That's the message in this movie. It's the punchline. Yeah. And the just the way that this does present politics it's it really is an argument for look we have to admit that these people are human because if we keep pitting if we keep pitting if we keep pitting themselves against each other like this whatever's going to happen is not going to be something we want and right. we're kind and of you, seeing that now i mean you see that and and sometimes you have to pick your you know you pick your guy or your woman and sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't like i freely admit i backed the wrong horse once upon a time i liked anthony weiner because prior to the criminal stuff it was he's a jerk yeah there's something to be said for a jerk on your side like you need a like think about it in your circle of friends everyone has a prick because you need a prick sometimes just to be that jackass to get things done like when someone yeah so (laughs) i like how you just knew your name immediately who it is Um, come on no i mean like that's 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 you know the republicans have mitch mcconnell we don't have a mitch mcconnell on the on the other side no there isn't there's the you need you need a person who's just like i'm the bad guy because they because the they've cost Franken out. Well, yeah. Well, that's ah. the thing. We we have a bad habit of forcing out our our bad guys, and turns he's, out he's not a bad guy. He just wouldn't. He just he just like put his foot down. And, our and, and, bad guys are different yeah. than their bad guys. Yeah, I was about to say you, you're you're even even Franken and Weiner are, are different. But yeah, you know, which is to say, Weiner the documentary, also phenomenal. <laughs> now. I'm going to go ahead and mention a filmmaking observation because I know Overdue Rentals were just the political hotbed that makes uh, MSNBC look like romper room. I understand that. But is it just me or do most of, if not all, universal movies in the mid to late 90s sort of have the same sheen to them? Like, just I can sort of tell what a 90s universal movie is because there's always this sort of look to them. I, 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 I... I don't know if I could speak to that personally because I never really thought about it, but I will say that I, if, if unless unless it came up on the credits, I would not say this was a Mike Nichols movie. Like, no, it, and Elaine May writing the script. Yeah. They gave us the political graduate. Which is funny because then Mike Nichols does it again with Charlie Wilson's War with Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 and... Damn it, that also would have been a good one to talk about. But... It's a great movie. Oh, I it... never, no one agrees with me. In fact, Aaron Sorkin didn't agree with me. I agree with you. I agree with you because I love that movie, if not just for Philip Seymour Hoffman telling off John Slattery in one brilliant that, 
that are, uh, if I open this, will sarin gas uh, leak out of it? Maybe not, but just to be safe, open it over there. Like, I love that movie. <laughs> when I interviewed Sorkin, I told him, and he was like, well, I don't agree with you there, but we'll talk about that another time. I'm like, oh, shit. Ooh. I wonder what was like, I, yeah, I can understand why Nichols and Sorkin are not the combination. But okay, to your so point. Sorkin on for Charlie Wilson's war with Joey, because he's the, the conduit to everything. The trailer for this movie looks like every 90s Universal trailer. Yes. I don't even remember it. Yes. The trailer and even the, the voice choices. Universal Pictures presents a it's film by Mike Nichols. Like this, a film by Mike Nichols. Yeah. Like, I, I, it's, it's so hard because it's not, you have the Don LaFontaine voices, which are always sort of dark and mysterious. But this was the guy that kind of was like a little bit in the middle who could tell yeah. you about impending doom but also it might have even been don lafontaine just in a, Wait, a lighter mood modulating his voice yeah it might have been i i need I, to look that up at some point but to, to find yeah. yourself you'll just, have to look inside lewin davis you know like whatever the, the thing is gonna yeah. be but universal just had that formula and it's not to knock them no but it was just their marketing and sort of the look of the movies had this like i, I can think of like sneakers kind of has a similar look to this I want to say liar, liar. Like, even though these are movies that are very visually different and not just cookie cutters, there was something that just told you it was a universal movie. They all definitely shot on the same soundstage, at least a little bit. And it wasn't just the logo. It's not like, oh, I know it's a universal movie. It's like, no, no, there was just a feeling to what was a universal movie. That that, that Krispy Kreme is also something else in another movie. Yes, because that I want an America where that I want an America where that is found nationwide. Yeah, all about I wonder if it's less universal and more just the times in general where there's a swath of years between, let's say, ninety six to ninety nine, almost maybe maybe when the Matrix came out, let's say, where studios stopped refusing to give a certain amount of money and everybody was just like, well, we're going to have to do everything plain. Nobody's going to go for amazing cinematography. Let's just get the act, we'll pay, spend the money on the actors and the directors and the writers and we'll just, you know, kind of piece together everything else. I mean, this was prior to the 99, like, move towards auteurs again. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 99 was just such an explosion when it came to... Um... I, I've I, this is a thought that I've heard on another podcast, so I, I got to cite them. I've heard this on Junk Food Cinema. I think it was either Junk Food Cinema or no, it was Junk Food Cinema. I think uh, I try not to mention other shows as, as much of a it's habit. Fine, it's fine to mention other shows. There's no problem. Okay. With that. Well, I just I just, just want to sucks at the end, then you're fine. Oh no, I love them. I want them on this show, but especially because yeah. one of them is the writer of Sinister. Well, there you go. But anyway, uh, they mention. And they did a whole summer, like the summer of 99 series. And they went through like The Mummy and Matrix and other other movies. And they talked about how there was that realism boom that was coming to an end in 99. So by time you had something like The Matrix or all these other movies, like even the Star Wars prequel, the floodgates were open. Visuals were blown wide all over the canvas. And to your point, Matthew, that's exactly kind of what was going on. I mean... Uh, one of the questions I was thinking of after watching this was, I wonder how much different it would have been after the Lewinsky scandal broke, because this was made before it, but released shortly after it broke and shortly after Wag the Dog. Because okay. to keep a, to give everyone sort of a running timeline here, uh, Primary Colors, the book was out in 96. And then later in the year, you know, Joe Klein's outed as the author. He's outed as anonymous. And then Wag the Dog comes out Christmas 97. This comes out March 98. Like 
in the ensuing aftermath. It's the and same. I, it's the same question that people have about contact. If you think about contact, because Bill Clinton is in contact. True. They use, Zemeckis uses the the trickery to put use old use stock speeches to talk about this, and it came out in '97, and people were like depending on the time could you have had bill clinton in this movie or would it have fucked up the movie or would he have wanted to be in it even more like this is good for my image let me be in this so you, it timing does matter but i mean even imagine what this movie's like if it gets made after 99 like does this movie look anything like you know like we talk about like realism or just even the the idea to make the way to make a new movie like 99 has the movies you mentioned also has blair witch project and magnolia two movies that you know, one is the basest model of cinema. Here's a camera and people. And here's frogs falling from the sky. You know, like like Mike Nichols watching Magnolia going, I remember Nashville. This is different. <laughs> you know, like it would have been it would have been very fascinating to know if he modulated it all, or I guess maybe not considering Charlie Wilson's war just looks a little cleaner. Like it's shot on on it's not shot on sound stages, it seems to be shot on locations, but it's largely the same, you know. Here's a shot. Here's people talking. Here's a track shot of where we're going. Like, for being, it is funny to think he's the man who gave us The Graduate. Like, American movie that gave you European filmmaking. And that since then, a lot of it was, let me just tell a good story. I'm not really worried about even, even think about films that are even less, even more stage-like. Because think about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yeah. Which is even earlier, which is even more technically stale if you want to think about, you know, locations. But look at how look at how look at how pleasing to the eye something like that is compared I mean, to this. This isn't an ugly movie, but no. it's a di directorially it's a workman like movie. Like yeah, this could have been. I don't want to say anyone because there's definitely a touch to it. Sure, because it, it knows when to be funny. It knows when to be serious. It's it's long but well paced. Like there's definitely a good filmmaker making this movie, but you know there there are plenty of movies we see that are directed by just guys. And you're like, this movie's still fine. You know, like, there's no world in which Walt Becker is a better filmmaker than Mike Nichols. But, like, they look almost similar in this, and that's not a bad thing. Because people forget that. Like, even the short of, like, Uwe Boll, like, shitty filmmakers are still kind of geniuses. Like, they went to film school and know, they know how to do it. They just can't translate it. Like, you can't just send me to the set and expect it to look good. But there's more to it than looking good, which is, I think, what is going on with Mike Nichols here. Is like, I don't want really to give a shit what it looks like. Well, you just got a story and you've got characters that are more of the draw. And this was an era where we could still get that. You could still get topical, rip-from-the-headlines movies that weren't really preaching either way. Because I'm, there, there's, of course, some Republican films. I, I can't think of any at the moment, but I'm sure there were some that were out in this era that approached the politics but weren't as preachy as like a film you see now where you've got these low budget sometimes pure flicks films and I mean, very message laden films that there are, are aimed squarely at that and primary colors is sort of a reminder of a time where we could have movies aimed at adult audiences movies aimed at sophisticated adult audiences that could change their minds, that could look at this. The studio makes it for like $50 million. It gets a major release, but 
after like the indie boom, after the Bush administration, you kind of see these movies sort of pushed into more and more indie contexts. Not even, okay. you know what you see? It, they become HBO movies. Because I watched Game Change again last that, night. Oh, yeah, recap. Yes! Recap. I love recap. Oh, that's going on the list. But, but I th- see, I thought you were going to go somewhere else because that's the other question is, is like, Primary Colors was critically acclaimed. Box office bomb. We talked yeah. about Wag the Dog. Box office bomb. It seems that if you make a political f- movie that's not about JFK or Nixon, they don't do well with the public, which is surprising because the books are all in the media when they first come out. Well, talk about the film being made is all in the media when, it come, when it's being made. But nobody's, the people, the audience is not going to see them apparently. People don't like movies about politics and movies about movies, it seems, unless they're doing something else. Like La La Land is a movie about movies and it made all the money, but The Player was a bomb, you know, and and who's thought about what just happened? The Robert De Niro, like, movie about movies. No one, because why would you? Barry Levinson hasn't thought about it. Player was an indie from the get-go, though. Player wasn't ma- meant to make millions of dollars. Player was player was not a cheap indie, though. That was no. I'm, I guarantee you. I understand it wasn't, but it was never. I mean, it, was, it was a fine line Miramax feature at the time when fine line Miramax was not anything as you know for for people to blow the mainstream horn about. No, that was that was that was the error of Harvey Weinstein working his magic with. We don't spend a lot of money, but we're going to figure out a way to make it, and we're going to force it down your throat, and you're going to see it. And listen. Terrible person. Oscar bait. Yeah, terrible person. But his strategy more often than not worked. There were, the problem was there was no modulation. If it didn't work, it was we wash our hands of you and you're and you're just tank. And that's the problem. You know, the, I feel like these movies, especially like Primary Colors, needed a, a soft touch of like we need to campaign it as like you guys love John Travolta. Here's a John Travolta star vehicle. Also, you know, they didn't really have the advertised to the political junkie crowd in the same way no we weren't watching msnbc like nowadays i guarantee you you know what was the last big political movie was it the front runner you know i'm sure there was there was more commercials on msnbc than there were on you know bravo it's just you you gotta find your audience you gotta you gotta try to get them to go see the movie who wants to see the movie the people who watch political news as entertainment for the most part the villains that's, as well. Yeah. That's where that's where the that's where the idea of the large cast comes in, though. That's what you're trying. That's what they, that's what they were trying to sell them. That's what they always try to sell. That's why they still don't understand why you get these fiascos about things like casting Scarlett Johansson and Ghost in the Shell, whatever it may be, is because they're just trying to put the star in there that they know is the box office pull. Oh yeah. No one necessarily, you know, I'm well, not no one. I'm sure there's idiot executives who are like, great idea, but you know, plenty of filmmakers in public and private will tell you, like, I, I would rather make the movie with a compromise pick than not. There's people who don't. And God bless them for holding their laurels. But, you know, if you want to make Ghost in the Shell and it's you can make it with Scarlett Johansson or you cannot make it, I don't blame them for making the choice. And I don't necessarily blame Scarlett Johansson for saying yes. Like, there's a finite number of roles, but there's something to be said for having the awareness of there are people who are going to have a problem with this. Yeah. And we didn't used to have a problem, but we, the error has changed. I might, it's the same thing with a lot of things. Like tell me how to behave and I'll behave. But if you don't tell me, you can't expect me to not necessarily make a mistake. And that's something she learned with the the project she dropped out of not too long. That's, that's where it changes is I don't know that she fully learned 
I think what she took from that was I made a bad movie. Let me just make a better movie because it sounded like she picked a good movie. But maybe maybe bow out gracefully when people are like, we don't want you to play this. Don't don't like put your haunches up and go, well, I could play a tree if it's right. Like, sure. In, yeah. in a bubble, yes. But welcome to 2021, 2020, 2019, whatever it was. That's not how people that's not what people want to see anymore. So even why though, do it? Even though to slightly play devil's advocate, they do kind of explain it away in her character. Yeah. But still, it's, you know, when people have a problem with this, don't just, you know, turn yeah. a blind eye. It's like, okay, we're going to have a talk about this word called representation. Yeah. My thing has always been, I, it's great to want more of something. Like, like, you should have representation. That's what makes the world go around. There should be something for everyone. It doesn't necessarily mean don't make the other thing. Like I've always said um, in recent years, like great that Crazy Rich Asians exists. And it's part of it is because it was, it was novel. Like that should not be novel. That should just be, we have rom-coms that have people of all stripes, all shapes and yes. sizes. That's what makes it interesting. But that doesn't mean don't make the next Jason Reitman movie either. Like, the idea of like no more white people movies like that's weird like how about you make all the movies and the good movies will make money or transformers you know? i it's 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 i i will say that i don't want to get too far into this i mean we can definitely talk about it but jack stanton thinks we should i think there's well, i think there's a weird i think there's a weird place where we're getting where and i think we've talked about a little bit this before though where this the line of where you want to be quote unquote woke has now crossed over into the point where you're missing the point for other things too. Because my big thing always was that I remember when they were casting Fifty Shades of Grey, there was an idea that they were going to cast Matt Bomber, but he was out of the closet as gay and they thought women wouldn't clutch on to him as the male lead because of we, that. We all know the two things that, that people don't like about gay people or, or like... It, it made no sense. Yeah, because women don't like gay men, and gay men don't have sex. No, and, then, and make that movie. No, and then and then you know the opposite of that is because I was always interested in the fact that Neil Patrick Harris comes out, but he seems to get his most popularity playing like womanizers and like the man's man kind of thing, and that's great and it should be like that. But if you're gonna go on, along the line and say you can't cast this person because the original character wasn't this, does that mean now you can't cast a gay man to play a straight man? That seems backwards to me. Because it should, you should be able to 100% do that. You should be able to, it should be an even playing field. I think that's what they're struggling with. Yeah. Like if you're casting a role and you want to, you want to cast Harvey Milk, of course go to Sean Penn because he's at his best, one of the better actors in the world. But it doesn't mean don't also look for other people, like have a wide net and see, and then pick who you think makes your movie the best. Don't just go to like, this is the traditional way of doing it. I mean, uh, when you talked about Fifty Shades of Grey, I was on a whole other plane. I said I was only interested in the movie if it starred uh, Bill Nye and, and Judy Dench. And I still stand by that. That should have been the casting. Tell me uh, more. I probably. Wouldn't. I mean, they do everything in the book, but they just do it slower. On an acting standpoint, that's if you just do an, even if you just want to do an audio drama of that, that would be. I mean, wasn't that the best exotic marigold hotel? Oh. I mean, both. I mean, listen. Fifty Shades of Grey did did teach the world that they're kinkier than the kinky guy in that movie because they just have missionary sex. Yeah, although probably the best version of Fifty Shades of Grey is Gilbert Godfrey doing the audiobook for Funny or Die. Uh, that I would like. Oh, no, I, he, I, 
Have you not seen that sequence? No, but I, my grandfather, my late grandfather, I used to listen to the Dirty Jokes album that he did. It's just old-fashioned Dirty Jokes. Oh, now I have, to, I have to send this link in chat. But oh, yeah. yeah, but sort of circling back to primary colors, again, it is just a rare animal that even at that point, we were starting to see the formula sort of breaking, people sort of chafing against well, maybe we don't want to take an inward look at ourselves through cinema. Maybe oh, yeah. we want to watch Brendan Fraser beat up an ancient mummy. Okay. And I have no problem with that. No. But at the same time, it sort of ties into what we were just saying. You know, you can make blockbusters. That's fine. And as you see in, in Hollywood history at this point, there were studios were starting to go into that phase where they had a label. They had the boutique label. You had fine line features for New Line. You had Paramount Vantage for Paramount. Focus for Universal was sort of reinvented and resurrected itself, but at a point was shuttered. And you, uh, Warner Brothers had Warner Independent. Like you had these movies where people were still interested in making them. And Hollywood sort of, it, when the people were George Clooney that wanted to keep making them, they found a way to make them. But then eventually it got to the point where the returns sort of diminished and it's like, okay, the the state the the bar sort of raised where it's like okay sony picture classics will still make this movie we'll make the ides of march but warner brothers isn't going to make another good night and good luck i'm sorry we've got harry potter we're booked or oh, we got i am legend we're booked but we have we have i mean granted i don't know what's going to happen when the slate that they already had is gone but fuck searchlight man they really were kind of like the new kings of that kind of stuff I don't, I see, I, I'm less worried about them than some people are because people seem to forget that like Miramax was Disney. Like Disney is yeah. used to having a separate group. Like, like Kevin Smith talks about, he's like, Clerks was made by, was bought by Disney. Pulp Fiction was bought by Disney. The mouse paid for this. Yes, but the mouse also had Touchstone in Hollywood that could do blockbusters. That, yep. Yeah, the blockbusters that Disney wouldn't have touched. And now, yeah, we still have 20th Century Studios, rest in peace, 20th Century Fox, and Searchlight Pictures, rest in peace, Fox Searchlight Pictures. But are they going to take as many risks? Because that the, the new thing that we're seeing now, and the thing that 20th Century Studios and Searchlight are now being, the brands are still alive for, is streaming. I mean, because, yeah, you've got Free Guy, which was a theatrical, it was theatrical only because they kind of had to with, uh, contractual obligation, but it was a, a hit for them. It was a big hit in this era. I mean, what about Nighthouse? Nighthouse was Searchlight, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Nighthouse also tripped over its feet, unfortunately. A good movie did not great, do well. Great movie didn't do well. That's the but thing. last yeah. weekend, Searchlight puts up numbers with Vacation Friends going straight to Hulu. It goes from this movie that I could, sw oh, no, not Searchlight, 20th Century Studios, but I could swear that was another cast off that they had in their, their pocket and now it gets a sequel and now it stays on Hulu and now it's a big thing. Well, that's what they're, they're figuring it all out because you, you would think that, you know, Disney's like big scale perspective is we make giant movies, we're Disney. We have Searchlight, try to win Oscars. We have 20th Century Studios to make the things that aren't quote unquote Disney. So, you know, like Free Guy, it's not quite Disney. We'd love to keep Deadpool there, but we, you know, we have to integrate him in the Marvel. We'll figure it out. And then the problem is, like something like the like this movie would nowadays go to streaming. It would be a miniseries. This but is a TikTok. This is a TikTok thing. That's the thing. You can't put it on Disney Plus because they have a big thing about like if kids are on, it can't have it. 
So that's where like, does it go to Hulu? Like, where do we, where do we put it? And the, the interesting thing about it all is just thinking about, so I think this is on Hulu. I think you watch Primary Colors on mm-hmm. Hulu. It just went off. I, oh, I, really? so I watched it last night, I think. Yeah, so, I watched it last night on Hulu. Yeah. Yeah, so, and it, I searched for it this morning because I was watching it this morning and it went off. It's like, I've got to rent it now. So whether it's whether it's uh, there or like Apple, wherever you, a really interesting thing to do is search for it because then you get the recommended titles with it. And if you look, you can kind of see the point we were making about how studios have veered away because you see listed there, The Candidate, which is a scathing movie about politics, but was a legitimate studio movie starring Robert Redford, starring Peter Boyle, like, Movie stars like Peter Boyle is not a movie star, but was the name actor. Peter Boyle is amazing, though. Yeah, like it's a great movie, but that movie now is an indie. You know, that movie now is Game Change on HBO, and you could just see like Wag the Dog. This, like, you can see as people got more and more risk adverse, going, okay, a movie about politics. You know, we have people in tights who beat people up. This could be in the next big thing. And like, listen, I love Marvel movies, but there is, I do feel like almost like the front runner was the last gasp of like, I'm going to make this movie and nobody wanted it because it's been a decade since anyone wanted it. And that's, listen, kudos to Jason Reitman for getting it made, but yes, the writing was kind of on the wall already. And like, I love that movie, but it was never going to win. Yeah. That's, I, I just remember that sort of evaporating almost instantaneously. And it, I'm it still was a, about it. they made, they made a choice when it was getting ready to come out, that they were going to open it on election day for the midterms. I was like, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. That's like, that's like opening something on Halloween. Like I, I will never forget. Well, there's a lot of reasons I'll never forgive Harvey Weinstein, but for opening Zach and Mary make a porno on Friday, October 31st, because on Halloween, what you want to do is go watch a rom-com and then be surprised when it doesn't succeed. Yeah. It's hard for me to think about because as much as I cared, when I was a teenager, and again, probably Colors came out when I was when I was eighteen. But yeah. as much as I cared as a younger person about these things, and even though it wasn't a big part of my life, I don't know. It's hard for me to fathom that the fervor of politics, the way it is now, based on social media, based on all the shit that's going on, was as ridiculous in the public eye as it was back as it is now than it was back then. But I, I think it's even it's going to be harder now because it seems that this is literally the one thing that is in front of everybody's face no matter what. And people just don't want to, they want to go to the movies for escapism more so than anything now, more so than anything after COVID. So it's like none of these are going to become box office winners. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's hard. I'm trying, I was looking up like what, it, what beat it at the box office, but like, it's not going to ever be surprising because this is, this is the problem. We, we, everyone says they want adult movies, not porn, but movies for adults though, don't not want adult movies either. But then when they come out, they don't go like, if you look at some of the things that have succeeded, you know, over the years, versus what fails and every year we have that movie this is a weird year now but like prior to COVID there's always those like would be awards players are just oh cool it's a drama people were talking oh it opened at number seven fuck yeah or like like mother was a great example like that movie would have been a hit once upon a time but it just people were like what is this and didn't go see it but look at reminiscence yeah another case where this is a movie that's like 
almost tailored to blockbuster sort of thinking, especially because you've got the creative team of Westworld. You've got Hugh Jackman in there. You've got Rebecca Ferguson. And the opening weekend was horrible. The movie's great, but the opening weekend's horrible. But conversely, you'll see over the years, like Paul Blart Mall Cop and Old Dogs and movies that aren't even almost pretending to be good. They're just like, this is dumb. You'll, your dad will like it. And they make $150 million. Well, yeah, the, the other yeah. problem is, is when you say people want adult movies, it's, it's that whole Zack Snyder thing where Zack Snyder thinks mature and adult means cursing and violence. And that's it. It doesn't actually mean being able to get to the deeper parts of things. And I think most people think that they just want an R and they don't want to care about how it got there. They just well, want cursing and violence and sex. But then I think there's like the example of like the Nighthouse we were just talking about. Like that's what people say they want. They want smart horror films that are like, it's as much a drama as a horror film. The horror parts are really goddamn scary, but the drama is like taken seriously. And then when it comes out, they go, and like again, COVID is a, is a thing, but that movie was always, I feel like, tailored to be like, oh, we thought it was going to do better. I just, I just think that they did a horrible job marketing that film because until up until the moment it was about to come out, a lot of people never even heard of it. I, if if you go all like the horror subreddits and all these other things, people rave about the movie just like critics were. So it's not like people don't love it; it's just that nobody fucking knew it existed. Well, yeah, that's that's why I think you're still going to see for a little bit bigger movies go to streamers just to hedge your bets like look at like we talk about primary colors movie costs what 60 million dollars to make makes 40 i think was was the ballpark something in that area maybe even less now you would just go you would sell the netflix and you would count it as a win because they'll okay you cost 60 to make you were going to spend 40 you want 100 we'll give you 90 call it a day so you guys feel like you won we never have to worry about money suddenly it's just the movie's good Amazon spends 120 million on coming to America, the yep. sequel. Yeah, but the issue is, is that for the studios, it may be a win, or for whoever wants to count the money, it may be a win, or like a less of a loss. And things like coming to America don't, don't count in the same breath because that's coming to America. But a lot of these films are still being lost in the deluge of shit that comes out every day on these streaming services. And Unless, again, like the algorithms pointed out to you, or you, like you were saying earlier, you search for something and see the similar titles, there are a lot of films that are being lost and not being seen. Well, that's, that's why we have a job still in some ways. Like that's become part of the job. Like we always used to, we always say like part of the job is turning people on the good movies and making them avoid bad movies. Now it's just awareness in some way. Like that's where, that's where, that's why, you know, a lot of people talk about like reviews don't matter and they're getting more and more right because people will go see what they want, but it's more about the awareness. And like, if you love something, raving about it so that people hear about it. If you hate if you hate it, I mean, honestly, bad reviews are kind of useless these days. I almost feel like not covering something is a bigger statement about the movie than a bad review, because a bad review can get people to want to watch a movie. Like, I feel yeah, like, yeah. I feel like if I was a studio head, or a publicist, and I was waiting to see the review that any of us wrote, I'd be like, I really hope it's a four-star review or a three and a half or a three or a one. I don't want two and a half. I don't want two because that just means whatever. Love the movie or hate it because that's an interesting thing and I can work with that. Look at how Smoke and Aces was marketed after it got the horrible reviews. It got horrible reviews, but then they make they cut a whole commercial around the horrible reviews yeah. to say, 
fuck you. This is the movie that everyone's talking about. Ghosty smoking aces. Which again, movie makes you makes you more interested. Like I would. It, the problem is nobody does that because you you shy away, and then you see like the first Suicide they Squad comes cry. out. Everyone hates it. Let's not and, forget Gotti. Let's not forget uh, Gotti. Well, yeah, Gotti went about it in like the pure flicks, like fuck you way, and you're like yeah. no. But but to, but to your point, it's not necessarily them turning the marketing toward it. It's the idea that a lot of people now just want to either A, see a train wreck, or B, they want to say, I don't, I don't trust what these people say. They kind of want to go, they want to go against us. They want to say, like, I mean, they don't was, know what they're talking about, so I'm going to go see it. That was Gotti. Gotti 100% went, it's us versus them. You're like, who are you going to trust? A bunch of tough guys behind a keyboard? Yeah. Or the I mean, like, that, that's such a, it's such a shitty thing to do because... If you didn't do that, then yeah, I feel like people would be vaguely curious. And like, I, it's funny, I interviewed the, um, the guy who created Entourage and he talks about like, you know, a lot of people hate his shit. He's like, I didn't set out to make anything anyone hated. I made something that made, meant something to me. And it's, he's like, it's just funny how many people hate it without having seen it. Like, it's not nearly as dirty as you think it is. And we, we mentioned Gotti and he's like, listen, a lot of things happened to Kevin making that movie. Like, that was not what he set out to do. And, you know, would it have been a better movie with whatever he wanted? Who, who the fuck knows? But, you know, there's more to it than that. So it's then a shame when, like, the studio goes, well, it's not that the movie's bad. It's that the critics are, are yeah. liberal yeah. cucks. And you're like, how is this productive? Like, watch Kevin Sorbo's movie, you meanies. Mm, no. uh, disappointed. I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to Sorbo. Uh, but yeah as much as i love to stay and talk to you guys all night about this joey we have to let you go unfortunately we have to kick you out the store at this point the, the closing time's coming so if you want to before you leave you want to let everybody know where they can find you uh only fans no i'm kidding uh awards radar and uh depending on when this goes up i will be uh in toronto uh braving the pandemic to watch dune i guess i don't know <laughs> uh yeah i'm gonna be at tiff and that'll be uh, that'll be a thing. So yeah, go to Awards Radar and uh, yeah, do that and click on the ads. Mike, where can people find us? Well, that's a good question because unfortunately, I don't think we're going to TIFF physically, but we'll be there in our hearts and potentially virtually. But you can find us, Overdue Rentals, the, the show that cares about political films and, and other unbeaten paths at Twitter. On, rentals over, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook and TikTok at Overdue Rentals, on Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, and through our email Dropbox at Overdue Rentals at gmail.com. Don't forget to send us your suggestions, your rave reviews, uh, invitations to your latest soirees, and of course, reviews and ratings once you've subscribed to us on all fine platforms that podcast. And with that, Make sure you go and watch Cross Off Primary Colors off your overdue rentals list. Joey, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Anytime. Michael, bye-bye. Bye-bye.